0: couple of things. Number one, thank you music team. Just beautiful music today. Awesome. We love you. And uh, we're looking forward to some special arrangements, uh, arrangements of some Easter songs uh, during the operatory later. And thanks to all of those who are volunteering today for children's ministry. Huge sacrifice to kind of be out and working with the kids today, but also a huge blessing. Uh, we're so thankful for you. And also, thank you for everyone who came and decorated the cross. Doesn't it look beautiful? So neat. Well, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Starting in Luke 24, we're going to read verses 1 through 35. This is the Easter story according to Luke. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, "'Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent.' So when he went in to stay with them. While he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight.' of the bread. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for the glory of the resurrection. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for the hope that we have because Jesus is alive, seated, seated at your right hand and ruling forever and ever. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you are draw our hearts up to where you are through the preaching of your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Change our hearts that we might be made new. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our resurrected King. Amen. Amen. A couple of years ago, uh, five years ago, if you remember the first time I told this story, the Pope came to visit Pensacola. Did you hear about this? It was in the Pensacola News Journal so you might have missed it. (laughs) Anyway, the Pope came to Pensacola for a very important meeting with some of his top cardinals, and he needed a ride from the airport to his hotel on Pensacola Beach. So he called a local limo company, and he asked for a driver. Now, the one qualification that he had was that the driver had to be a devout Roman Catholic. If you are the Pope, you cannot have a Presbyterian picking you up at the airport. I'm pretty sure that's against canon law somewhere. So the limo company said, hey, no problem. We got the perfect guy. His name is O'Malley. He's Irish Catholic, 12 brothers and sisters. This guy is the real deal. He'll be waiting for you when you arrive. Well, the day of the Pope's arrival, O'Malley was right there waiting for him eager to take him to the hotel, but there was a small problem. O'Malley was such a devout Roman Catholic that he was terrified of speeding with the Pope in the back of his limousine. So he hopped on the 110 South, he headed toward the beach, and he locked the cruise control in at 52 miles per hour. Well, anyone of you who has driven on the 110 freeway knows that, of course, you are going to get passed by everyone going 52 miles an hour on the 110. So the cars were just absolutely zipping by. The Pope decided to knock on the per- partition. Hey, do you mind speeding up a little bit? We're getting passed by little old ladies here. Let's get a move on. I'm going to be late for my meeting. And so O'Malley sped up to 54 miles per hour. More passing, more people speeding by, more banging on the partition. Hey, I'm serious. We just got passed by a 1993 Buick LeSabre. You need to get going, man. Let's, let's put some lead out in it, okay? O'Malley sped up to 56 miles per hour. And finally, the Pope had had enough. Pull over, you sit in the back, I am driving this car. Well, with O'Malley in the back and the Pope behind the wheel, the the car started flying down the freeway. Now, granted, the Pope might have mixed up miles per hour and kilometers per hour, given that he lives most of his life in Europe, but he was going at least 87 miles an hour just flying down the road when he was pulled over for speeding. Young policeman approaches the driver's door, and before he could say license and registration, please, he realizes that he has just pulled over the Pope for speeding on the 110 freeway, one of the most famous people in the whole world. He called his supervisor on the radio You're never going to believe this, sir. But uh, I just pulled somebody over. He was going 87 miles an hour on the 110. I had to do it, sir. But this is a very important person. I don't know what to do. And so his supervisor said, well, who was it? Did you pull over the mayor? You got uh, D.C. Reeves in the car over there? He says, oh, no, sir, much bigger than that. He said, well, what did you do? You pulled over the governor? You got Ron DeSantis in the back of the car there? He goes, oh, no, 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 much bigger than that. And he says, son, are you trying to tell me that you just are about to give a speeding ticket to the President of the United States of America? And the officer says, I don't know who it is, sir, but the Pope is his limo driver. (laughs) Now, in this story, which did not happen, it is just a a joke, of course, a police officer found himself face-to-face with the most recognizable person on the face of the earth. And somehow, he looked right past him. In this story, which did happen, by the way, not a joke, two disciples were walking and talking with Jesus, the most recognizable person in the ancient world, for two hours. And somehow, they looked right past him. It was the very first Easter Sunday. They were traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus about seven miles away. Jesus was standing right there with them. And they didn't recognize him at all. They didn't see and couldn't see until Jesus opened their eyes. How did it happen? Can something like that happen today? Is it possible to come to a worship service on Easter Sunday, arguably the biggest Christian holiday of the year, and completely miss Jesus. Sadly, I think it is possible, and I don't want it to happen to you. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to walk with him. I want you to talk with him. I want your heart to burn within you as you walk with him on the road. I want you to leave here saying what Cleopas said to his friend in verse 34. The Lord has risen indeed. How does that happen? How do we see Jesus? Why do we so often live our lives completely missing Jesus? As we think about Easter and the resurrection this morning, I want to ask two big questions about what the disciples did and didn't see on the road to Emmaus. The first big question is this, what prevented them from seeing Jesus? And the second big question is, what enabled them to see Jesus? At first, they couldn't see Jesus at all. Then all of a sudden, they could. What happened? What changed? Can it happen to us? How does Easter and the resurrection open our eyes? How does Easter enable us to see Him? Why do we so often fail to see Him, even though our eyes are open? Let's take a closer look at one of my favorite Easter stories in the whole Bible, the story of Jesus and his disciples on the road to Emmaus. Now, here's the first big question that we're going to ask. It's this, what kept the disciples from seeing Jesus? And then, related, what keeps us from seeing Jesus? Three things. The first is distraction. The disciples, in this story... ...were completely distracted. Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village called, named Emmaus... ...about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other... ...about all these things that had happened. How much of your life do you spend talking to all of these people... ...about all of these things that have happened... How much time do you spend talking to people about sports and politics and movies and music and what happened at work and what's happening at school and the economy and the stock market and the housing market? the price of new trucks? 80,000 bucks? The price of, of a dozen organic eggs laid by chickens with graduate degrees. Seven bucks. In the case of these two disciples, they were thinking about everything that had happened in the Holy Week leading up to Easter. First, there was Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, then the Last Supper on Monday Thursday, then the Crucifixion on Good Friday. And now, here they are on Easter Sunday, Jesus is dead, and now... His body is gone. And to further complicate things, some of the ladies from the Tuesday morning Bible study are insisting that Jesus is very much alive and that they've seen him and heard the angels. Could this be true? They were distracted, so distracted, they missed Jesus. He appeared to them on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't even recognize him at all. Do you see the problem I think so often we get distracted by all the things that have happened and all the things that are happening and all the things that might happen and probably won't happen that we miss the one thing that did happen that matters more than anything else in the world. We miss the resurrection. We miss the fact that death has been defeated and Jesus, our King, is very much alive. We miss the fact that that we are no longer slaves to fear, but we are children of the living God. We miss the fact that Jesus is right here, right now, and there is no condemnation for those of us who believe in Him We miss the fact that Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, walk with me. Talk with me. Tell me what's on your mind. Tell me your hopes. Tell me your fears. Tell me your doubts. Share your joys and your triumphs with me. Don't miss him. Don't miss the gift of everlasting life. Don't miss the gift of joy. Don't miss the gift of hope. Put down your phone, turn off your TV, and take a walk with the king. The second thing that kept the disciples from seeing Jesus is disillusionment. The disciples who met with Jesus on the road to Emmaus were disillusioned. Verse 18, Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to him, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. That's interesting. Who does Cleopas blame for the murder of Jesus Christ? Does he blame Pilate, who who passed sentence on him? No. Does he blame the Roman soldiers, who actually nailed the spikes and nails into his hands and his feet? No. Does he blame the, the crowds, who shouted out, Crucify him! Crucify him! No. He blames our chief priests and rulers. He blames the religious people. He blames the clergy. See, Cleopas had trusted those who were in spiritual authority over him. He put them on a pedestal. He held them to a high moral standard, and they betrayed his trust. They let him down. He was disillusioned, and because of his disillusionment, he couldn't see Jesus. Some of you this morning are in the same exact place that Cleopas was on the road to Emmaus. Religious people have let you down. Maybe your religious parents let you down. Maybe a pastor. Let you down somewhere along the way. Maybe I am the pastor who let you down somewhere along the way. Maybe you grew up going to church, and when you were younger, you were a true believer. You love the church, you love the people, you believe Jesus and everything that the religious people said about him. And then you saw the hypocrisy, then you saw the cruelty. Maybe your church split, and the people who were supposed to be all about love were hateful and hurtful to each other. And you're wondering, can I ever go back? Can can it ever be like it was before? Can I ever have a relationship with Jesus again? Can I ever have a relationship with the church and those people again? That's where Cleopas was. And that's exactly where the Lord Jesus met him. Jesus isn't afraid of our disillusionment. He knows everything that religious people have ever done to you. And he knows it because they did even worse to him. Don't let your disillusionment with the church or your disillusionment over sins that have been committed against you, falsely, in Jesus' name, keep you From seeing Jesus, he's right here. See him. The third thing that kept the disciples from seeing Jesus is disappointment. The disciples on the road to Emmaus were disappointed. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Can you hear the disappointment in Cleopas's voice? We had hoped that Jesus would be the king. We we had hoped that Jesus would restore the glory of Israel. We had hoped that he would drive out the Romans and make all things new on an earthly kingdom here in Jerusalem. And now he's dead. He died on Friday, and now it's Sunday, it's over, and it's done. Cleopas and his friend were disappointed because they didn't have a category for a suffering Savior. They didn't have a mental category for a crucified king. In the first century, many conservative, religious, Jewish people did believe in a resurrection of all people at the end of time. But no one believed that a single person could rise from the dead in time In history, they simply didn't have a category for that. It was completely alien to everything that they thought they knew about God. Cleopas and his friend put God in a box. They said, this is what God is like. This is what the Messiah should do. The Messiah is a political leader who's going to restore the glory of our nation. And they were disappointed because Jesus didn't live up to their expectations of him. Have you ever put God in a box? Have you ever said to yourself, I know what God is like, I know what God is going to do, and then been disappointed when God didn't do everything exactly the way you wanted him to do it? Maybe this past year you've been praying Really hard for something to happen, for someone to be healed, for something to change. And thus far, God has not answered your prayers. Maybe you had a plan in your life. You said, okay, I'm going to go to this school, and then I'm going to marry this person, and then we're going to have 2.5 kids, and then we're going to live in this house, in this neighborhood, and it's going to be perfect. Only things don't always work out exactly the way you've planned. And you're disappointed. Maybe you can't see how much better God's plan is than your plan. Think back to Cleopas and his friend on the road. Would it have been better if Jesus had led an earthly revolution and driven out the Roman Empire from Jerusalem? Would that have been better? Would it have been better if Jesus would have been anointed the king and had reigned for 50 or so years and then died and was buried and then stayed dead? Because here's what actually happened. Jesus, by suffering and dying on the cross, paid the penalty for all of our sins, and then he rose again in victory over sin and death and Satan and hell forever. Because of Easter, we have the unbreakable promise that someday, though we die, we will live, and that someday, everything that is broken in this world will be made new. Because of Easter, we know that we're forgiven. Because of Easter, everyone who believes in Jesus without distinction is an adopted child of the living God. Don't make the mistake that these disciples made. Don't let disappointment keep you from seeing Jesus. Trust that God has a plan for your life. You may not understand all the twists and turns of God's plan for you, but He has a plan and He loves you. And He will never leave you and never forsake you. Are you distracted? Are you disillusioned by sins that have been committed against you? Are are you simply disappointed? Cleopas and his friend were, and that's exactly where Jesus met them. He met them in their distraction and in their disillusionment and in their disappointment. He came right alongside them. He opened their eyes. He did it then, and he can do it for you. Now here's the second big question. What enabled the disciples to see Jesus? So first, they couldn't see him. Second, they could. How did that happen? Again, three things. The first is that Jesus opened their minds. He opened their minds to learn how to read God's word. Verse 25 The disciples began to see Jesus for the first time when Jesus explained the Bible to them. He essentially tells them, you've been reading the Bible, you think you understand the Bible, you don't really understand the Bible at all. You think that the Bible is merely a book of rules and regulations and heroes to emulate. And if you do enough good things and your good things outweigh the bad things, then you get to go to heaven someday when you die. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is one story about Jesus. From the book of Genesis in the beginning to the book of Revelation, every story in the scriptures whispers his name. Every type, every shadow, all the law, all the prophets, the priests, the kings, the covenants, the sacrifices, the psalms and proverbs and prose and poetry, it is all about him. It's all about Jesus. The Bible is one story about a God who loved his wayward people so much that he became one of us, dying to rescue us. According to Jesus, the gospel isn't one tiny part of the Christian story, something that you need on the front end in order to become a Christian. It is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. It's the whole thing. And when you start to see that, when you start to experience the centrality of the gospel, as you read God's word, your life will change and you'll see him. The second thing is open hearts. Verse 30. When Jesus was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. When Jesus broke the bread, and many believe that this was really the first Lord's Supper that he celebrated with his disciples. They remembered the feeding of the 5,000. If you go back to that story, it's really interesting. His wording is almost exactly the same as the wording and the feeding of the 5,000. They remembered the Last Supper when Jesus said, this is my body given for you. This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. They saw his nail-scarred hands and they were instantly aware of how much Jesus loved them. If you want to see Jesus, it's not enough to have an intellectual understanding of who he is or what he did or where he lived. You have to know how much He loves you. You have to know that he bled and died on the cross, not as the solution to a math problem, but as a way to give you everlasting life. You have to know he's coming back for you, that he will never leave you or forsake you, and when you sin, he will forgive you time and time again. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you you want to eat the bread of life? Do you want to drink the cup of living water? Then know how much he loves you, that he bled and died on the cross for you. And you'll see him. The third thing is open doors. Verse 28. So they drew near the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he was going further, But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. The disciples saw Jesus when they opened their doors. They saw Jesus when they asked him to come inside and stay a while. If you want to see Jesus, you have to ask him to come into your life. Well, how do you do that? you can begin by praying the simple prayer that Cleopas prayed, Jesus, stay with me. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life? Now, a, I'll admit, it's a scary thing to do, because once Jesus comes in, into your life, he's not renting a room in your house, okay? Okay? <laughs> He kind of takes over the whole house, and you discover that you're actually living with Him. He calls the shots. He's our Savior, yes, but He's also our Lord. He's our King. But He shows us the paths of righteousness, not to steal the joy from our lives, but to give us greater joy than we could ever experience without Him. By aligning our hearts and our nature which has been made new by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the true nature of the world and the universe, he shows us something better that we could ever ask or imagine. He gives us joy. So ask him to come inside. Ask him to be your savior and your king. You will see him, and your life will never be the same. Have you come here this morning Wanting to see Jesus. You can. Put aside your distractions. Put aside your disillusionment. Put aside your disappointment. Open your mind to God's word. Open your heart to Jesus' love. Open your doors to a relationship with him. That's what Easter is all about. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He's here. Do you see him? Let's go to God in prayer. O oh Lord, our God, we ask that you would show us Jesus and that seeing him, our lives would be made new. I pray, Lord, for those who come burdened under the weight of sin that they have committed. I pray for those who have been crushed by the weight of sins that have been committed against them. Oh, Lord God, we pray that by the power of the cross, you would take away our guilt and our shame. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we might see you. And that seeing you, we might know the path that leads to everlasting life and joy and peace. Do this great miracle in our hearts by the power of your spirit, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.